All right, we'll stop our football chat. <laughs> the two of you should start a, uh, a sports podcast, Studio Rug. Yeah, the Transatlantic <laughs> Football Talk Hour. As I say, I think uh, this is the first guest that's actually engaged with you in sports talk, Jeremy. I know, it's exciting. <laughs> He's tried with every guest, and up until now, everyone's just been like, yeah, dude, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I'm here to talk about music. <laughs> Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, delivery driver for the hottest, up-and-coming, full-service Portageon rental company. That's uh, Portaloo for our UK customers. Anyways, we're called Party Poops LLC, and I'd really appreciate if you'd all help me put the word out. All right. Will do. Well co-host sean i'll be able to put the word out as i just won a lifetime achievement award did you now yes for america's greatest party pooper (laughs) he finally did it congrats my dude amazing and i'm only 35 and i got the lifetime achievement award already wow there's still miles to go with this party pooping (laughs) <laughs> you think you might you think you might try for a second lifetime achievement award? You got time, right? I think so. I'm really impressed that both of you chose to reference a song that we're not even going to be playing from this album <laughs> for your title. Almost How can we resist? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't blame you. Well, I am co-host Peter Cook and as many of our listeners know, But for those who are tuning in for the first time, I'm in Kalamazoo, Michigan, as is co-host Jeremy, and we are experiencing an unseasonal winter heat wave. I got to tell you, the temperature's really high in here. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Heat wave in January. <laughs> yeah, February when people hear this, but yes, it is currently January. Yeah, I think it got up to 17 today, Fahrenheit. Yeah, very unseasonal heat wave. <laughs> Unseasonable. Well, anyway, do we have a guest? Perhaps from another part of the world? Yes, and coming all the way from the UK. And my name is Aswad. I'm the executive producer of the cult hit TV sitcom called What's That Track ID? (laughs) Wonderful. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. You know, you're a a longtime listener, first time caller, right? You were like one of the the early fans of the show, inspired us to keep it going. Yeah, I've, um, I've been listening to the show for... I was thinking earlier, I think it must be about two years now, because I'm thinking about using the tracking time of the pandemic in relation to this, and I'm sure it was around that time of the start of the pandemic or just before. Cool. Well, we're very excited to finally have you on. We've got a, 
I think, a pretty appropriate record to talk about with our first UK guest. You want to tell the people what it is? So on today's show, we're going to be going through the album Central Heating by the group called Heatwave, released in 1977 on GTO Records. Beautiful. Rad. Which song would you like to introduce Heatwave with? I would like to start off with Send Out the Sunshine. This is Side A, Track 2, and this is one of many Rod Temperton written songs. that made me really like this album when just knowing vaguely what kind of music it is I was like yeah I'll probably think this is okay but there are some very interesting harmonic things going on it's like it's both catchy and dancey but also will throw things you don't expect occasionally to keep it interesting and then there's some really far out textures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this record is honestly a masterpiece, in my opinion. And everything you said about this song and what you like about this album, I completely agree with. I feel like every song in this album keeps getting better as it goes, too. Like throughout the song, they manage to have these wild intros and then the choruses are great. And then it just keeps shifting where they add like a little bit more flavor onto a part they've already done. And it just keeps getting better and better. 
Yeah, they like they don't let it get stale like some songs. They just kind of hang doing the same things, and they don't they don't go there with it. Yeah, and we we've talked many times how funk and R and B records can get trying to listen to as a full album piece, and this one I think works so well as a full album. You can play the whole thing start to finish and not get bored with it. It stays interesting. When I first checked it out a few weeks ago, I had never knowingly listened to the band Heatwave, and I was like doing dishes while checking it out, and I, you know, three or four tracks in, was like, "Wait, what am I listening to again? What is is this a mix? Is this the same album? Is it, oh, it's Heatwave? <laughs> oh man, this album is phenomenal. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing." It's 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 really good, and it's one of the ones that within their discography, I would think that doesn't get much shine, mainly because this is their second album, and I think most people would know them for their first album, because the first album, which was too hot to handle, featured their number one hit, Boogie Nights. So if you're not familiar with Heatwave, you might be familiar with that basically a number one hit disco record that is a certified classic yeah the people don't understand how good the deep cuts are with this band and you know even the records before and after this one all have something special on them aside from just the hits which are very good as well you know there's a huge hit on this record as well the groove line which we'll be playing later on but it's so much more than that and that's why we're featuring it on the show, shedding some new light, telling the story, and hopefully making some new Heatwave fans out there today. Most definitely. Yeah, and it's so fitting that on our first episode with a UK guest, we have this international band we're featuring. Featuring multiple UK members. It's perfect. As well as some Dayton, Ohio members and uh, <laughs> a little all over the world going on. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. There's definitely a lot of things going on here. Definitely. So, Aswad, when were you? When did you first hear this record? Do you know? So, it's a record that I have to admit I've heard it in pieces. Whereas something when I first discovered it, I discovered certain songs from it from before, and not into like not too long ago. You know, I think about a few months ago. I then was able to listen to it all the way through properly, and because this album is quite it's quite diverse in what it offers it's got some really uplifting funky grooves on it but also it's got some nice ballads some nice two-step soul on it as well and i think the first track that i found out about this album was groove line i think and mainly because it's just really upbeat tempo really funky and also, another reason as well, and I'm sure we're going to get into this, is because it does have Rod Temperton writing most of the tracks on this album as well, who probably needs no introduction, but I'm sure we're going to get into the backstory about him as well. Yeah, Rod's one of those guys where if you know, you know, and if you didn't, you're in for a surprise. You got, you know, maybe one of your new favorite musicians and songwriters to learn about in this episode, so stay tuned. Yeah, we mentioned him briefly on the Quincy Jones The Dude episode last week. 
but yeah. we're going to be talking about him a lot. Getting the today. full story tonight, today. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever you're listening. Yeah. I So for me, I've owned this record for a few years now, and I bought it, you know, for Grooveline to be able to play when I'm DJing, especially like it's a good wedding DJ cut, you know. And uh, recently I've been trying to go back through a lot of my dance music record collection and play albums all the way through that I bought for a specific cut and have maybe never actually given enough time to because you know you can you can dig in the dollar bins and find new stuff but sometimes you can dig in your own collection especially when it gets into the thousands like mine and gets kind of out of control (laughs) but I was just completely blown away at how good of an album this was all the way through and I'm always on a search for funk bands that can pull that off And, and funk bands that like Aswad said, can do the ballads, you know, just as well as the up-tempo dance numbers. The ballads are incredible on this album. Yeah, most definitely. And I think it comes down to the the actual members of this band. Now, this band has a lot of history. There's a lot of history regarding band members leaving and coming in and out. But I think we have to start talking about the lead vocalist, which is Johnny Wilder Jr. and also his brother, Keith Wilder, who are the both lead vocalists for this group. And both of them coming from Dayton, Ohio. And yes, a good history about Dayton, Ohio. If you're quite familiar with Ohio and thinking about funk and soul within the 70s, you know, when we're talking about all of wonderful bands coming out of Ohio, like... The Ohio Players, Lakeside, Slave, Sung, Zap. So they grew up and obviously surrounded by very heavy influential bands and, you know, soaking up that Ohio sound basically and bringing it up to this group for their own group, uh, Heatwave. Yeah, it's a, a crucial part of the ingredient that makes up the uniqueness of Heatwave's funk style. And... As we said, Rod Temperton writes a lot of the songs on here and gets a lot of credit for having these insanely good arrangements and just these catchy, beautiful, yet complex songs. But Johnny Wilder, his his vocal arrangements specifically elevated Rod's songs. Like some of these, if done by the wrong people, wouldn't have been nearly as magical as Heatwave made them. And that's actually a pretty good transition to the next song we're going to feature, which is one of two tracks written by Johnny Wilder Jr. and is a great showcase of his vocal arranging talents. And that song is called... Wait, I have a question first. Okay, go for it. (laughs) Aswad, I would be intensely interested in what you imagine Ohio to be like. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, that's a... That is a... That's a good question. <laughs> ah, I trying to picture it in my mind. I'm imagining it's a place where, for some reason, I think that it's gonna be it's gonna be quite a you know warm weather, and because when I think about these bands that come out of Ohio, which are obviously some of the most creative funk and soul bands of the 70s and of funk and soul in general like in history let's say i think they come from an era or place where i don't know it just that kind of like that sun that vibe that energy to help them create and make this music see this is what i was wondering because 
we're from Michigan, which is near Ohio. And I realized people from the Midwest or people not from the Midwest, I should say, probably have no idea what Ohio is like. And Ohio is considered like a farm state. There's not much going on in it. It's like a very like white bread Midwestern state. And it's just mind boggling to me how much good funk music came out of Ohio for some reason. Well, oftentimes the best funk music is made. It like comes from places of extreme poverty that are not really like great destination cities, but you know, people overcome it with music. I think Dayton's a great example of that. Ohio is definitely one of those States where everyone that lives in a surrounding state loves to talk shit about Ohio. And we can't forget, we can't forget Bone Thugs and Harmony from Cleveland. Yeah, the musical history of Ohio is is legendary, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> people have a lot of feelings about it. Anyway, let's play this track. Uh, as I said, Happiness Together, this written by Johnny Wilder, featuring some of his amazing vocal arrangements. And this is Side A, track four. first checking this out a couple weeks ago that I had to pull my phone out of my pocket to see what what was it I clicked on is this an album oh yeah this is oh this is heat wave central heating it's just a fantastic soul ballad I was kind of expecting them with the name heat wave I was expecting just intense non-stop funk 
and uh, right yeah you would think just like four on the floor disco funk start to finish but no they're dropping these beautiful gems like that track and again with that one there's so many little nuggets that they'll add in just for that extra flavor just to push these songs over the edge like the vocal harmonies that they just throw in it like the minute and a half mark there give me chills every time just masterful arrangements on these songs yeah and just to say one of the key things which rod temperton did when he was writing these songs he always had in his mind of johnny wilder like lead vocalist his voice because obviously johnny wilder has a particular unique voice of hitting certain notes and certain harmonies so he would write to match that and i think that's one of the talents of rod temperton and we're getting to a bit more of him down the line of things that rod temperton did throughout his career and other eyes he worked with and it's just one of the many skill sets that rod temperton has really that delivers this kind of like uniqueness to the songwriting skills that he brought into these type of tracks agreed legendary talent well if you guys don't mind i'm going to dive into this pretty substantial bio real quick learn some more about heatwave so as we mentioned johnny and keith wilder were uh, brothers that grew up in the projects of dayton ohio came up singing in church, performing with local groups, just being involved with music in any way they could. They said that growing up around that time, yeah, like music was just in the air. Everybody was playing and not just the big famous bands. It was just a very musical town at that point. In 1972, Johnny Wilder joined the army. Uh, this is because there was a girl or a woman that he was interested in named Rosalind who had joined the army as well. And he decided he didn't want to leave her. So he figured out where she had been assigned and got assigned to the same place. So they both enlisted and were stationed in Germany together. They got married. And while in Germany, Johnny had a vision and was inspired to start his own band after playing around with local bands and musicians and playing the army bases in Germany. He started a group that was called Chicago Heatwave. Uh, this was with original guitarist Jesse Witten, who was a native of Chicago and thus inspired the original name. They also had Swedish bassist Mario Mantese, Czechoslovakian drummer Ernest Bilbo Berger, and, as we've said, <laughs> keyboardist Rod Temperton, who at that time was an unknown musician and simply answered an ad in the paper that Johnny Wilder had placed looking for a keyboardist for the band. And they got Rod Temperton. <laughs> and they got Rod Temperton. What's the chances of that? <laughs> the ultimate lottery winner of placing an ad in the newspaper for a band member. <laughs> <laughs> so th this initial lineup is doing their best to gig around Germany and surrounding area and just working as hard as they can. After Johnny's three years of service were up, he decided to remain in Germany to keep working with the group. And he also convinced his brother Keith to move out and sing with them as well because he wanted a more full and rich vocal sound going on, which is just one of the many comparisons that you could make to the group Earth, Wind & Fire, I think. So after Keith joined, they all moved to the UK together in about 1975. 
they were a very dedicated group that practiced every single day at this point. Johnny specifically used his military train to keep the band tight and keep them going. He apparently was a guy that didn't party, didn't drink any of that, was up at 8 a.m. trying to practice the band every day and trying to discourage the other band members from partying too hard. He also didn't allow any band members of Heatwave to get married, despite himself already being married. He just wanted everybody to be fully committed to being in this band and making it the best possible thing that they could. Which is, oh, this is like some Captain Beefheart. Yeah, that, that was the thing I thought of, too. Just like minus <laughs> a lot <laughs> of the extremes. <laughs> yeah. My mind just went to Colt when you said that. <laughs> yeah. That's what the uh, sessions... No one can marry yeah. but me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, I guess at least they were at least they were making listenable music in this case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they they weren't trying to record Trout Mass Replica. They were trying to record Too Hot to Handle. It's fundamentally different stories here. <laughs> so original guitarist Jesse Witten quickly grew tired of the rigid practice schedule, especially as they were not even a signed band yet at this point. And he moved back to Chicago in late 1975. There was initially it was going to be a short visit and he was going to come back and rejoin the group. But unfortunately, shortly after visiting Chicago, he was stabbed to death and uh, they had to, they had to replace him with Jamaican guitarist, Eric Johns. And then afterwards the group then shortened their name to heat wave since their only Chicago member had tragically departed. And that is unfortunately only the very beginning of the tragedy associated with this band, but we're, we're going to balance it out with yeah. singing their praises as much as we possibly can. Yeah. As there's, well. there's so much history towards this group more than, than I imagined actually, uh, because I did know regarding things about Rod Temperton but I didn't know much about the ins and outs of these band members and even the original name of Chicago Heatwave as well. Yeah, the the history goes deep with this group, especially for a group that many people kind of passed off as a one-hit wonder or maybe a two-hit wonder or whatever. Now, they were going to uh, shorten their name to just Chicago, and then they found out there was already a band with that name, right? <laughs> I suppose that's possible. <laughs> I didn't gather that info in my research, so I can't back it, but... <laughs> Guess we'll go with Heatwave. <laughs> All right, fine. <laughs> so that takes us to 1976. The band has gotten signed to a label called GTO Records, and they drop their debut album, Too Hot to Handle, which is... Again, just a brilliant and fun record with some classic cuts like Ain't No Half-Steppin', Boogie Nights, and Always and Forever. Ain't No Half-Steppin' being given like a little more context when you understand the work ethic of this group. Like when they wrote the song Ain't No Half-Steppin', that's what they meant because they weren't they weren't fucking around, <laughs> <laughs> you know? They are trying to be the best funk band in the entire world. Yeah, and I... And maybe they did funking it. funking around. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I also have to plug in that a bit of... Uh, hip-hop history let's say if you're familiar with hip-hop you would know that that track ain't no half stepping was also sampled in later on down the well much much later to a track by big daddy came with the same track name as well yeah yep which yeah and this was the inspiration for it and yet again it's a group that 
maybe didn't resonate quite as hard with the general population, but you better believe that the DJs and the producers and the other musicians were taking note of this group. So their first album was entirely written by Rod Temperton. And as we mentioned, this album came out and several big name producers started to take notice of the group and specifically take notice of this new writing talent, Rod Temperton. So at this point, they're starting to blow up on the European charts. Boogie Nights is hitting pretty hard. It even went up to number two on the Billboard Hot 100. However, the the first album wasn't actually released in the U.S. until 1977, right around the time when they came over for their first U.S. tour. And I got to note that the U.S. edition of their first record, Too Hot to Handle, features entirely different artwork than the U.K. version and specifically has no picture of the band members. And there's been a great deal of speculation that this was an intentional move on record labels' part because they were a multiracial band at a time when that was not common and very often frowned upon. Yeah. And it quite possibly contributed to them not having as loyal of a fan base in the U.S. because people have stated that you just they were more mysterious. You didn't know as much about them. They weren't a band that was in the U.S. all that often, and they kind of lost out on what could have been a more loyal fan base. Yeah, I guess we've talked about that, I think, a bit on the Chambers Brothers episode as well as we did a Patreon episode about Hot Chocolate that were both interracial bands and all that they ran into. Yep. Yep. That was some real stuff in the seventies. Yeah. And also the (laughs) seventies, it seems like it should be so recent, but wow. Yeah. And I'd also looked into this a bit further as well. When it comes to them about their non ID and not knowing who they were and then decided to take the decision to go to the U S and do a bit of touring to start showing their stage presence. Because we have to think about the 70s around this time, especially for funk and soul acts, stage presence was important. So a lot of the classic bands like we mentioned earlier coming out of Ohio, groups like the Ohio Players, Lakeside, Slave, Zap, their stage presence was there. They had the outfits, they had the dancers, they was performing well. And when I started looking into this and I started seeing some early clips of Heatwave doing their stage performances. They were <laughs> doing backflips. They were they were very active on stage, and they definitely wanted to like make sure that they can set the scene and get that attraction. I would even say that this like seventies funk sound more so than probably any other subgenre of soul and dance music. the The show end of your stage show was really important. You know, especially you got all those Dayton bands that you mentioned, and then you know you got groups like Parliament that are touring right now, and everybody knows about these groups. So it's like you've got some some heavy hitters to stack yourself up against if you're going to try and be considered a, a top billing show band in the states at this time period. And as Heatway was preparing for their U.S. tour, Johnny uh, was like fully aware of the competition that they're about to be up against in these. In the shows in the States. And he began practicing the band even harder in preparation. And like Aswad said, their stage show was just intense, highly energetic, 
both Johnny and Keith were doing frequent acrobatics, just like flipping and doing high jumps and high kicks <laughs> constantly. Uh, Johnny had some incredible microphone tricks nailed down. So he was just dancing like a madman and spinning yeah. the microphone around and still hitting all those high notes. <laughs> and I guess they off also often, uh, ended shows with a human pyramid as the grand finale where the like guitarist and bassist would get on their shoulders while still maintaining like a perfect groove the whole time. It's awesome. <laughs> mm, yeah. That reminds me of some of the theatrics that earth, wind and fire got up to. Definitely. Definitely. If we ever get to do a live show, we're going to end it with a human pyramid, guys. <laughs> it's been decided. <laughs> I will pay to see that. <laughs> I call dibs on the top of the three-person pyramid. All right, so just a little bit more info, and then we'll listen to another song. So after their first U.S. tour, Rod Temperton announced that he was leaving the group in order to focus more on his songwriting career, which he stated was something that he had told Johnny when he first joined the group, like, I'm interested in playing music, but songwriting is my true love, and there's going to be a point where I'm not going to want to be on the road anymore. Um, he, he still remained very tight with the group and continued to write and record with Heatwave throughout their career, but that was the last time he was on the road with them and had to be replaced by other members for future tours. And he didn't have a whole lot of success as a songwriter, correct? <laughs> Virtually none. There's a short list I'm going to drop later of like a few things you might have heard of, but like... <laughs> nothing wild, nothing wild. Yeah, nothing too wild. <laughs> so the band then added a second guitarist and singer named Roy Carter, uh, who was also from the UK and was a former member of the band The Foundations. Is that build me up? Build me up buttercup. Yes. He's not on that song. He was in the band shortly in like a later version of it, but um, he was also supposedly a member of the drifters for a short time as well. <laughs> I swear the drifters have like 500 <laughs> members. Oh yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> so they got their, their new guitarist and yet another talented singer in the group. They re-enter the studio to record their sophomore album and they're doing it with the intentional awareness that so many bands become one hit wonders and they're determined to make this second record be huge, which brings us to the big hit, the groove line, which to me is just a perfect pop song. You know, there's tons of pop songs that were just kind of throwaways that became hits. And then sometimes you have a talented band that writes a song to be a hit and they make it work. And I think Grooveline is a great example of that. And a quick note, the kind of ooh ah sound that the, the crowd chant that you hear during the chorus of this, that was actually a trend for a short period in the late 70s with audiences. When they were really digging a performance, they would start doing that along with the song and heatwave was one of the first groups to have a recorded context of that so it's like they were once again trend setting in a lot of different ways there was a lot of american groups the following year in 1978 that started incorporating that sound into their choruses but heatwave was one of the first it's time for another song i'm gonna play the major hit the groove line another rod temperton penned song this is side b track one Oh, 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 oh,
Yeah, that's such a fantastic track. It's such a unique track because you can really hear the pieces of the Ohio funk and soul foundation within that. But then when you put your mind to it and think about it, this was recorded in the UK, in London, in the late 70s. And also thinking about the other funk and soul music coming out of London around that time, this track just stands out from that and separates from the crowd. And you can imagine this would stand out from the rest, especially even hearing this in like a club or something like that around that time. It would just captivate you and, you know, you wouldn't think this is heat wave. This is this is the thing. You would think it's probably like the higher players <laughs> doing something like this. Yeah. Yeah. Like love roller coaster kind of vibe. Yeah. And um, I was looking to this a bit further and as myself as a record collector, I was thinking, this is such a good dance floor track. I wouldn't mind owning this on like a 12 inch record where I can get like an extended version of this. Cause it's, it sounds like something that will have a nice long play. And I was surprised to find out that all the releases on this was only seven inch. How interesting. And that was quite a funny little fact. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just quite unusual because tracks like this, which is quite leading to be a single as well. You thought there would be a 12 inch release, but it's only released on seven. Huh? Yeah, that's interesting because so many of those 12 inch releases, they would, you know, they'd have those interesting extended instrumental sections and mm. add that extra little audio candy. But like we said, this is a group that just did that anyways on the regular versions of their songs. Yeah, yeah. Like they, <laughs> they said everything they wanted to say right in the, in the way it was presented on the album. That's interesting. I'm glad you're thinking like a DJ on this as well. <laughs> I had to, I had to, I had to. Well, any. Seven inch record collector, you're in luck here. There are many <laughs> issues and releases in the seven inch of this record, so help yourself. <laughs> okay, so after this record comes out, the band unfortunately has some more tragedy befall them. Uh, bassist Mario Mantese was stabbed in the heart by his girlfriend in 1978, shortly after leaving a gala event in London. He was pronounced dead for six minutes, came back and was comatose for weeks or possibly months. And after regaining consciousness, he was completely paralyzed and mute. He only slowly regained basic motor function and was, has never been able to play music again ever since. So was forced to leave the band all of a sudden right after their, at their commercial peak. So they, it was, they rallied put out another record in 1979, the excellent Phil Ramone produced album Hot Property. And then unfortunately, right as that album was coming out, lead singer Johnny Wilder was the victim of a serious automobile, possibly motorcycle accident. I saw conflicting reports on that. He was broadsided by a van running a stop sign in 1979. He was paralyzed from the neck down and never again regained the ability to walk. However, he stayed in the group as the producer, road manager, and band leader. He was replaced in concert by then-unknown singer J.D. Nicholas, who later replaced um, Lionel Richie in the Commodores and is still a current member of the Commodores. Wow. Yeah. 
Uh, so even after all that, Johnny put in an immense amount of work and retrained himself to sing and actually came back to sing on Heatwave's 1980 record, including their final hit, Gangsters of the Groove. Shortly after that, Johnny decided to return to the stage for one tour with the group. But after the tour was done, he completely abandoned live shows, citing the lack of wheelchair-accessible stages and also feeling that he was basically only getting looks of sympathy from the audience and he just wasn't working for him anymore. Heatwave released one more album in 1982 and then pretty much broke up after that. I have a little bit of information on some of the members and where they went after Heatwave. Johnny continued to be in music. He did a lot of production and he actually started his own label and distro called Shalanda Productions. He recorded two solo acapella gospel albums in the 90s and also produced acapella gospel albums for other Christian artists around Ohio. And he actually was close friends with Teddy Pendergrass later on as well. When Teddy had his accident and was paralyzed in 1982, Johnny reached out to him and befriended him and helped him learn how to continue going on as a disabled singer in the music business. I'm surprised we haven't covered a Teddy Pendergrass album yet. I know, we almost did it during our Philly Soul Month. I'm sure we'll get to it at some point. (laughs) So Johnny passed away in his sleep in 2006. Mario Mentese, who we mentioned, now actually goes by the name Master M and is a spiritual leader and author of the books In the Land of Silence and the Art of Not Being, among others. uh, (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Interesting. He's just a little further up in the alphabet than Master P. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm waiting for their collaboration. <laughs> uh, brother Keith Wilder began performing as Heatwave again in the late 80s, despite often only being the original member. However, former members would occasionally tour or play shows with them. He kept the band active in various forms right up until his death in 2017. Rod Temperton remained a successful songwriter for many years. He intentionally tried to avoid the public eye, especially after quitting Heatwave, who was rarely interviewed. He passed away in 2016. And finally, the list of famous Rod Temperton songs that we've been teasing. His most fruitful partnership was with a guy you might have heard of called Quincy Jones. Through this relationship, he was able to write the title track and the song live in me for Rufus and Shaka Khan's album master jam. He worked extensively on George Benson's album. Give me the night, the brothers Johnson's light up the night and Herbie Hancock's light me up. Some similarities there. Bit of a theme. He wrote the mega hit. Yeah. A theme. Maybe he wrote the mega hit. Yamo be there for James Ingram. He wrote four songs on Quincy Jones, the dude, including the title track, something special razzmatazz and turn on the action. Yeah. One of the songs on this album, I think it was one of the songs reminds me of razzmatazz. So I can hear that songwriting voice in there. Yeah, it makes sense. He would have started working with Quincy just shortly after this album came out actually. Oh, well, yeah, that's true. Finally, Rod has written a couple of big hits for none other than Michael Jackson, including Rock With You, Off The Wall, Baby Be Mine, and Thriller. Midas Touch. Yeah, heard of him? <laughs> heard of any of those? <laughs> it's crazy. Legend. Now, I had also heard that apparently, after he quit being a full-time member of the band, was writing these hit songs for people, he often 
offered these songs to Heatwave first. And Johnny Wilder was famously very picky about what songs he would use for the group. So yeah. uh, there's claims that several different big hits for other people were supposed to be hit songs for Heatwave. Uh, specifically, the song Rock With You was apparently supposed to be a, a Heatwave song before Michael did it. Wow. Crazy, right? Yeah. Wild to think about. <laughs> Imagine just like passing it up and just looking at it and go, nah, no thank you. I, I, I don't want that. <laughs> And then down the line, there's a guy called Michael Jackson who takes it and becomes one of his biggest biggest songs to date, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, something I learned when doing research for our last episode, Quincy Jones, the dude, uh, for the Thriller album, he said that they went through some 700, 800 songs in consideration for what they were going to use on, you know, which is what there's nine songs on thriller. So I'm guessing these, you know, a lot of these songs probably got demoed and passed around and, you know, people would accept them here, hear the ones that they wanted and jump on them. But it's interesting. Yeah. That's it's like, that's a lot of songs to go through. <laughs> yeah. There was a great story I heard from Rod where he was talking about, um, writing songs for Off the Walls the first time he worked with Michael Jackson. And he was asked to write one song for Michael to see if he wanted to do it. And he decided he should bring three songs and let them like pick which one he wanted. So he wrote Rock With You and Off the Wall and also Burn the Disco Out, or Burn This Disco Out. Brought them to the recording studio Quincy's listening to him and going through him and Rod's like, which one do you want? He's like, are you crazy? I'm taking all three of them. <laughs> you can imagine Michael Jackson saying that as well. Which I imagine <laughs> it, 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 that was not Quincy's standard approach. Like that just really goes to show the songwriting genius of Rod that he could pull something like that off and have all three of his songs be on off the wall. Yeah. Yeah. Based on the process. I was just about to say, I, I can imagine Michael Jackson in his voice, just like saying like, no, I want all three. And then <laughs> and then that's it. It's a wrap. <laughs> yeah. Either Michael telling it to him really soft or Quincy just shouting it at him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. I'm you know, we only briefly mentioned Rod Temperton on the Quincy episode, so I'm glad we have given him his due here on this episode. I would like to remind our listeners that we are right smack dab in the middle of our February 2022 Patreon push. We want to show our appreciation for all of our Patreon supporters. They are receiving free limited edition. I buy that for a dollar swag. And if you sign up in the month of February, you will also be eligible. And it does not cost very much to support this little venture of ours, the $1 tier. Uh, first, Well, first of all, let me just say, and I'll repeat this, but you can go to patreon.com slash podcast to sign up. The $1 tier gets you early access to new episodes. You'll get them a few days in advance of the rest of the general public. The $5 tier gets you that early access plus bonus episodes where we talk about Seven inch singles, 45s. And we now are starting a $10 tier that will include 
the early access and the bonus episodes, plus the exclusive monthly mix made by us here, yours truly. I'd buy that for a dollar. And the $20 tier, the vinyl subscription tier, gets you the early access, the bonus episodes, the exclusive the exclusive monthly mix, and you'll get records sent to you in the mail with a personalized note once a month. You can't say no to that. Uh, Aswad, you are, yes, you are a uh, Patreon supporter. Yes, I am. I know you've checked out some bonus episodes. Yeah, so just to say that you guys have been putting out a lot of great additional content on Patreon, in particular as well, the seven inch records reviews and discussions are really great and really great insights. And for for a person like myself, a record collector, it's always good to, you know, being put onto these additional things, adding more to the want list <laughs> as normal. But it's also good you know, as a just general listener and someone who's interested in music. It's just really a good additional insight that you might not be aware of. And just to say, you guys covering a lot of ground. There's all types of things being covered. And I feel like if you're not something to the Patreon, you are generally missing out. There. There you go. <laughs> what more can we say? A genuine review. <laughs> Indeed. I should mention that the $1 tier, the gift that you will be receiving, is an I'd buy that for a dollar sticker that is made up in the style of the Sgt. Pepper Lonely Hearts Club band Drumhead. The $5 tier will get that sticker plus a tote bag with a full image of the Sgt. Pepper cover done up with, with the us, us three co-hosts plus Ringo in place of the Beatles. And then previous artists that we featured are all of the uh, figures behind us on there. It's It's fantastic. The $10 tier will get that sticker plus the tote bag and also a mug that has the aforementioned drum head on one side and the three of us as Beatles on the other side. And the $20 tier gets the sticker, the tote bag, the mug, plus a personalized print of the Sgt. Pepper image. And these were all designed painstakingly by artist and illustrator Ellen Vandermeid, whose work you can see at voyagewithellen.com or on Instagram at voyagewithellen. She also did our season two Patreon swag, which uh, as what I think you received a little bit of that. You've been signed yes, up for a while. Indeed. I'm, I'm really looking forward to receiving this new swag. I'm, I'm trying to picture it in my mind <laughs> and it, it's, it's got a wild imagery towards it, so I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Yeah, as of this recording, you really uh, isn't available for the uh, general public, but it is. By the time this is released, you can view it on Instagram at I'd Buy That Podcast or on Facebook at the I'd Buy That for a Dollar page. So once again, you can go to Patreon.com/slash I'd Buy That Podcast to sign up in the month of February. Or just you can find the link in the show notes of the episode. And with that, let's get back to Heatwave. <laughs> All right. So real quick, I've just got my five album 
recommended if you like list of uh, further listening. If you're digging this and you want to find more stuff, I was actually able to get five records all from the year 1977. And three of them are also the band's sophomore release in 1977, just like this album. First up, two groups that we've mentioned from Dayton, Sun and their album Sun Power from 1977, highly recommended. Slave with their sophomore album, The Hardness of the World. And also the Brothers Johnson's second album, Right on Time, came out in 1977. As we said, Rod Temperton would later go on to work with them extensively. And I think all three of those groups have some some good similarities to the sound going on here. It's funky, but the ballads are good and the arrangements are really interesting and it goes a lot of cool places. Last two suggestions, an album that we have featured before, Earth, Wind & Fire's All in All. As we said, there's a lot of Earth, Wind & Fire comparisons, and if you listen to these two albums, both from the same year back-to-back, I think it'll make a lot of sense. Finally, a group that we have not featured, but one that has been talked about frequently, the Silvers album, New Horizons, from 1977, would be a really good one to pair with this. It shows the band kind of trying some new things and uh, on a similar vibe to what Heatwave was doing at this point. Yeah. And I would say one more I would add in there just because I was reminded of it a little bit. War, Why Can't We Be Friends, just as far as a good mixture of like funk and soul ballads. I feel like that album in particular really does a great job of you buy, you know, people buy it for the low rider and the title track, but then there's some real fantastic slow jams on there. Absolutely. Lotus blossom. Oswald, this is the time where, uh, if you got anything to plug, maybe another podcast that people can hear Studio you on. Funk. Can you tell the people where they can find you. <laughs> yes. Most people would be no, well, they would know me as studio funk. So you can find me at on Instagram at studio.funk because most of the time I'm running a podcast called Studio Funk, which you can find on all podcast services. And what Studio Funk is, is a monthly show where I get to interview guests, artists and musicians around funk and soul, modern day, and sometimes artists from the past as well. And in between that as well, I tend to do things like some mixes on, on the show some tributes towards the artists, but also you can feature, you can find me, so I say, on Rundown Radio, which is a station on in London, which is led by Charlie Dark as well. And you can also <laughs> find me anywhere else in between as well. I'm everywhere. <laughs> right on. Well, thank you so much for joining us and talking about this incredible record. What song are we leaving people with? Ooh. This is a goodie. So this last track we're going to go with is called The Star of the Story. And a cool fact to plug onto this one right here is a few years later, this was featured on the album by George Benson. As you can see there, Rod Temperton once again working with George Benson, but also Quincy Jones. So actually we did this track and Quincy Jones produced it. But this is a really, really great track and... It's one of those ones where if you heard it play, you would be surprised it is a heat wave. But once again, fantastic track from a fantastic group. A couple notes to add. This song was sampled on 
Tribe Called Quest Low End Theory, the song Verses from the Abstract, and also Jay Dilla sampled it for a remix of the song She Said by The Far Side. Yes, yes. And wow. Yes. Yeah, so people love this song. This is this is like the fan favorite track of the entire Heat Wave career for a lot of people. This is like the true hidden gem. This is the song that defines this group. Mm-hmm. And Rod Temperton himself has stated that of all the songs he's written, this one is his absolute favorite. So we're going out on the star of the story, side two, track three. And I've been Sean Hartman. Thanks for listening. I am Jeremy Ruggles, lifetime achievement in party pooping. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, check out the song Party Poops from this album uh, sometime, listeners. Even though we didn't feature it, I I am co-host Peter Cook. This has been I'd Buy That for a Dollar. And I'm Aswad, aka Studio Funk. Peace. Thanks for joining us. Mm-hmm.